Hello and welcome to the Caregiver Stories podcast, where we discuss all things dementia and hopefully share some caregiver stories along the way. My name is Kimberly Scott. I am a part-time caregiver to my mother, who at age 65 was diagnosed with early onset dementia. And in 2019, I started Caregiver Stories to build awareness and to give caregivers a place to tell their stories when they're ready to continue the education for those who don't know about dementia and for those who don't know what to do when their loved one is first diagnosed. But most importantly, I want to get people talking and having a tough conversation about the what if your loved one is diagnosed and maybe, maybe just maybe break that dementia cycle with a little bit of a plan or maybe even some better health habits. So if you wanna share your story and or have knowledge about dementia and wanna be a guest on Caregiver Stories podcast, visit thatkimberly.com to sign up to be interviewed. And while you're there, you can also pick which platform you prefer to listen to the podcast on, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google, YouTube, and now Amazon Alexa. And today my guest is Tara Reed, a caregiver, an author of What to Do Between the Cries, which I love. <laughs> <laughs> I love the title. And founder of Pivot to Happiness. Hello, Tara. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you for joining me today and for giving me your time and sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. It's a, so, it's a good service you're doing. Oh, well, thank you. Well, tell the listeners a little bit about your background on who you are, a little bit more in detail, and about what led you to do the work that you're doing now. Okay. Well, I am Tara, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. I'm an artist is my main profession. Okay. And my dad was officially diagnosed with dementia in 2012. But as most people who do experience this, or if you ever do experience this, when you do the 2020 hindsight, he, mm -hmm. he was probably coming on for oh, at least six to eight years before that, mm -hmm. when you were kind of like, is he just getting older and forgetting or, you know, yeah. what's going on? Kind of that, that type of a thing. And I, I decided to write the book. I think it partly was to help me deal with what was going on, you know, while my dad was ill. I've always mm -hmm. liked to write. I've always liked to, you know, blog, speak, share. And so by being able to just really kind of put things in order and share with other people how we were dealing with it and what we wish we had known and things that we learned, it helped me get through the whole thing myself, if that makes yeah. any sense. Oh, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> Probably why you're doing this, right? Yes. <laughs> when your father was diagnosed, how did you get him to go get diagnosed in 2012? Well, we kind of pushed the issue. Yeah. It was a few years before that. My parents didn't live near me. And so I would see them two to three times a year. And my son, who was 16 at the time, and I went down and visited and he was just different. Yeah. You know, he was a college professor who's really smart, which made it really hard to get any diagnosis for him. Because mm -hmm. even when he was quite ill, people who didn't know him thought he seemed fine. Yeah. Like, oh, your dad was fine. I'm like, oh, no, you never knew my dad. Yeah. <laughs> you never knew who he really was. And so, you know, I had said to my mom, like, mom, something going on with dad. And she just burst into tears. And I said, why? What, what do you think? And then she did get him to go to a doctor and... I think they did an MRI and just kind of looked and then he figured out that 
that was because I had just visited. So he was mad for about three years, which is another sign that something was wrong. Cause yeah. why would you be mad that your child wants you to be okay for three yeah. years? <laughs> yeah. 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 So when we finally, you know, we, we kept looking and things were getting worse and, you know, trying everything you see on the internet and nothing's getting better. We finally got him in to see a neurologist and it wasn't really a shock at all when they said, yeah, this is what it is mm-hmm. because we had gotten rid of every other thing, right? Dementia yeah. is one of those things like, okay, is it this? Is it this? Is it this? Let's try this. Let's try this. And it's kind of a process of elimination. And this is where you land. Mm. So we were glad to know like, okay, this is what we're dealing with. There's no more, oh, maybe he was tired. Oh, maybe, you know, like coming up with the other reasons. All and the so then, <laughs> yeah. So then we just knew like, okay, well, this is our new reality. It's not what we ever expected. Mm-hmm. And now we need to figure out what to do. And I'm kind of a how person. Mm-hmm. Like anytime anybody says, oh, I want to do that. You know, they'll be dreaming. Like I want to start this business or I want to do this. I, my brain immediately says, okay, well, how are you going to do that? Yeah. So I immediately went into, okay, this is what we're dealing with. What do we need to do? And okay. what do we need to learn ASAP? Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of what my book is. You jumped into it immediately when you yeah. finally got the diagnosis. Yes, yes. Yeah. Kudos to you. And I totally get them. I agree with you. I don't know why parents get upset. I can only imagine because I don't have children. But when my mom was diagnosed, it was because her friends said, there's something wrong with your mom because I too don't live in the city that she's in. She still lives in El Paso where I'm from. But they were like, we don't want to upset her, but we feel like there needs to be like an intervention. So we sat down with her to get her to, and there are a few things when I would visit that wasn't making sense, you know? Right. But when we finally got her to go to the doctor, I just like, mom, cause she's like, it's stress, you know? And I was like, okay, well then let's go. And if it's just stress, we'll send you on a vacation. How about that? <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. But if it's not, then let's get this figured out because it was scaring her friends that she saw, you know, quite often. So it then of course scared me. So we definitely, yes. but the parent, the parent dynamic is very hard. I can't imagine what it's like being married and you know, what it was like for your mom, but like, I understand the struggle from a child to parent for sure that you yeah. might've been through. What advice would you give a person, particularly a child to parent <laughs> that has just found out that their loved one has dementia and, you know, is either about to become a caregiver or, you know, needs to find a caregiver? Yeah. Well, I, I get very pragmatic with that. The, well, the first thing I do is I say, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry. I know how you're feeling and what's coming and I wish you never had to know yeah. <laughs> the, the extent of it. So, you know, there's always that initial empathy piece. And then I start telling them like, okay, you, there's certain things you need to get on top of mm-hmm. immediately, if not two years ago. And that's just all the organizing and, and a lot of the legal stuff. Yes. You know, make sure you and whoever else has permission to talk to the person's doctors. Yes. Is there power of attorney in place? Is there medical power of attorney in place? Is there financial power of attorney in place? Have you and that person or and the rest of the family talked about like a lot of those what ifs? Like what if this happens? What do they want to happen? Because my parents were very different. All my life, I remember them talking about death and dying mm-hmm. issues. Wow. <laughs> I mean, That's not different. Not, not weirdly, right? I know, but, I know, but yeah, I get it. Yeah, but they would say like, oh, you know, this is happening to aunt so-and-so. I wouldn't want that. 
When I get older, this is what I want. This is how I want things to happen. This is how I feel about medical intervention. This is like, we had those conversations. So when this was happening, we all knew what my dad's feelings were. Mm -hmm. And we all knew, like we had all talked about it amongst ourselves. And so it made the whole journey a lot easier because we could make decisions knowing like, okay, a lot of people, if we just go on the street and tell people what we're doing, will disagree with us. Mm-hmm. But we know that this is what he wants. So we could be very comfortable in the things that we did and choices that we made. Mm-hmm. So, and then the other thing is, you know, communication amongst anyone that's involved in it, because yeah. this kind of thing, it can tear a family apart Absolutely. really quickly especially if nobody talks about stuff until there's an emergency. You don't yeah. want to be having your first discussion in an emergency room about what, you know, level of intervention you want to do for a loved one. Yeah. Cuz if you're not sure. all on the same page, that gets ugly fast. Oh yeah. For sure. Some people in the family stand the denial stage. So yeah. you just have to I learned to not be upset with those in my family that were in the denial stage. It was definitely hard to get Yeah that communication going back and forth. So I, I agree with you. You just got to keep pushing forward and overly communicating sometimes, which not everybody likes. And then the other thing is like, just really knowing and understanding your strengths and weaknesses and everybody else's and what Mm -hmm. people can handle and being okay to say one day, like, you know what, this is so overwhelming for me. I need to pass the baton to you. You need to tell me what to do. You need to, you know, you need to step up right now because I can't do it. Or recognize that somebody can't handle something and then step up and say, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm taking the baton. We're going to figure this out. You know, it's a round robin. It can't all be on one person. You can't expect yourself to be like, I'm going to be the perfect daughter. I'm always going to know what to do. I'm always going to be happy. (laughs) I'm never going to resent anything. Like, no, it just doesn't happen. It's not sunshine and rainbows all the time. No, (laughs) rarely. Yeah. (laughs) And, and for those who might not have anybody mm-hmm. to seek that help and support for sure, because I know there are a lot of people out there who either feel like they're alone or they really don't have anybody, mm-hmm. you know, just to find a support group or, you know, find a friend that's willing to help you. Because when I didn't hold everything in and I started asking people, I found people that were willing to guide me in the direction that I needed to go before yeah. oh. I that there were all these resources and these books. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just had a friend, you know, my friend's wife asked me to meet her friend for coffee just mm-hmm. two weeks ago mm-hmm. because she's going through the same thing. And I was like, okay. So we met for coffee and we decided, you know, oh my gosh, we think our mothers are twins because what uh-huh. she's going through is so similar to what I went through. Yeah. So I kind of told her like, okay, and here's how it went from there. And here's some things to think about. Yeah. You know, just, yeah. Almost everybody knows somebody that's been through it. Oh, absolutely. And they're always willing to, I get phone calls all the time or get messages on LinkedIn and Facebook. And I'm like, sure, here's my number. Please call me. You know, like I'll yeah. pass on the information that was given to me. It's funny that you even bring up the power of attorney and all that. That was one of the first things that this gentleman, it was a client friend of mine. I was in a meeting. He's like, how are you doing today? And I just broke down in tears and he told me, he was like, you need to go do this, this and this, you know, and I did. Luckily I got power of attorney Mm -hmm. and all that taken care of in seven years ago, because if I hadn't done it, it would have been really hard to do it now, you know? Oh yeah. I've had friends that didn't do it. You know, their parents were in their late seventies. No one had ever done a will, you know, had just never done any of that legal stuff that we should all honestly be doing healthy or not. And I mean, she spent thousands and thousands of dollars in court trying to get guardianship of her mother. And I mean, it was, yeah, it's that ounce of prevention. Mm Mm-hmm. 
type just of a little thing. bit. Yes. And yeah. Doing it early. I know there's lots of resources, but if they say they don't have money, legal zoom at the very worst, the very limited basis that you can get that online, you know, right. even though there are elder care, elder care. That, yes. That definitely is out there, but just get that done first. I, I 100% agree with that because that was so instrumental in, in, you know, the journey with my mom for sure. And she's yeah. physically very healthy. She just has no short-term memory. So sometimes that makes it worse because she remembers things. I'm quite shocked. Why do you remember <laughs> this mom? <laughs> and then she gets upset with me. So then I have to redirect. <laughs> oh yes. Does she realize that she has uh, yes. some, sometimes she does. And then okay. other times she'll say things like, I don't know why that's hidden. I don't know why. I don't know where that went. I don't, you know, or I don't know why they didn't, you know, like, and we just redirect, you know, I don't remind her of it, even though right. she'll remember herself. And I don't use the words, remember I told you, or I never try to insist on her already knowing or whatever it is, because that just makes her feel worse. Yeah. Oh, that's a key skill. Yeah. Key skill. It, 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 took, it took a little while for me. The first year was hard, but once I figured that out and, and watched a couple of things online that like, okay, I just need to practice, practice that very much. So what's the one thing you want people to know about when it comes to dementia and carry for a loved one? Okay. Some key things that come to mind. Number one, take care of yourself. Okay. Yes. It, it is such a stressful journey and you have to, you know, take care of yourself. 100%. Another thing that we learned a little bit the hard way was because I have a sister and brother, so there are three of us. We knew my dad was the one with the diagnosis, and so we were very focused on you know, trying to keep the peace. He was very angry when he got his diagnosis because he never believed that it was true. Mm. He went so far as to tell the neurologist she was crazy and that it was my mom and that the next thing she would do was find a doctor that told him he had cancer and he didn't have that either. I mean, it was anger. We did not see just how stressed my mom was mm. because she was the healthy one mm -hmm. until it almost got really bad. I mean, mm -hmm. she, I think she probably had a mini nervous breakdown on one lovely mother's day, mm. but you know, we thought she was handling it better than she was. And so I always tell people if there's two parents and they're together, or, you know, there's a primary caregiver living with the other person, keep your eye on them as well and make sure that they are getting the breaks and the help and they're not just being strong until they break it's super super important and then like you said you know it's it's those new communication skills not saying oh no don't you remember or you know that's wrong trying to help them remember mm -hmm. when they don't you know yeah. it becomes an art form i called it you know dementia improv <laughs> where that's you just true. you jump into their reality yeah. You know, because there'll be different times where they think you're a different person. They think they're a different age. They think, you know, Ronald Reagan is still president, whatever. Yes. And so you don't argue with them because to them it's 100% real. Yeah. So you just kind of roll with it. Yeah. So. I learned very quickly. No arguing is the way to go. It was counterintuitive and heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. So let's just move on. Redirect. Redirect is, was the big word. Yeah. Redirect. Yeah, redirect, 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 play along. It's because it's mm -hmm. so stressful for yeah. them and you Absolutely. if you try. What is something that surprised you from being a caregiver or being involved in the world of dementia that you realized about yourself? I think one that did and didn't surprise me was just how strong I was. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'd been through some other things, like I'd been through a divorce and 
some other hard life things. So I knew I was a strong person, mm -hmm. but I didn't realize just how strong I was until I really had to be, right? Mm -hmm. You know, there were times where my mom was just like, I can't do it. I can't do it. And we'd say, okay, then don't. I'll do it. I'll do it until you can be back. Uh -huh. um, you know, just figuring out in those firefighter moments, as I call them, you know, when my mom, one time she called me crying that my dad had jumped out in the middle of a four lane road and was walking up the street and she didn't know what to do. Oh so, my. Well, you know, okay, yeah. I'll be right. What street? I'll be right there. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I found him at Starbucks. So it was, yeah, just, just having to do that and being strong, but then mm. also realizing like, okay, this is also taking a toll on me and yeah. my my health and my mental health and, and having to kind of recover mm -hmm. from that. Well, that's good that you realized that yeah. self-awareness came in. Yes. In play for sure. I am not too proud for therapy or support groups. And I hope no one listening to this is either because yes. they will Amen. save your life. Yes, absolutely. 100%. Mm -hmm. Were you living close? To, I mean, you said at the time you did not live in the same did you guys eventually move closer to the same area or within, you know, we drive got, distance? We got my parents to move. I'm in Portland, Oregon. They were living in Reno, Nevada at the oh. time when it was really getting bad. And that year, my son was graduating from high school. I was getting remarried and things were really hitting the skids with mm -hmm. my dad all in that summer. And so they were up here for my son's high school graduation. And I managed to find a way to get my dad to be open to moving. Mm -hmm. You know, I just, I knew how to sweet talk him. I did mm -hmm. it in Costco over a, a hot dog. My mom loves to tell that story. Yeah. And, you know, so we got them to move here. So they were about four miles from me. And then my brother works nearby, lives about an hour away. And my sister's on the East Coast. So that was very stressful to have to sell a house and move when someone's in that condition. Yeah. But in the end, it made it a lot better because then we could be the more constant support and help mm -hmm. and not need to get on a plane every time. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I yeah. travel once a month to El Paso, but that's only because my mom won't let me come and be there. I know there'll be a time when I have to be there, you know, later, right. but for right now, she's has a caregiver during the day and then goes to see my stepdad on the weekends. That's a whole other story. So I go relieve them once a month and, and handle all her finances and then talk to her every morning via the Alexa. Okay. So I did get her to learn that. So that's yeah, and there's so much technology that can be helpful while they can still use it. Yes. And, you know, just it's, it's kind of figuring out like, okay, this is where she's at and what she wants now and mm -hmm. we'll make it work. But knowing that someday it might change. Yes. Yep. It's how you have to do it. Being prepared. <laughs> so tell listeners a little bit about your book. I'm having issues with my Audible right now, but the <laughs> topics that include, you know, the summary that you learn more about that diagnosis from financial, legal, medical options and choices. Tell a little bit about the overall premise. Yeah, it's a little bit of everything. So, I mean, it's not long on mm -hmm. purpose. It's about 123 pages because that's who great. has time to read a 500 page book yeah. when you're dealing with all this, right? It's down and dirty mm -hmm. and it's, you know, very organized. So you can go in and be like, okay, we're getting to the point where we, we're going to need more help. So there's a section on the pros and cons of bringing help into your home versus putting someone into a care home um, because that answer is going to be different for every person and every family. Yeah. There's also like a checklist of all the legal stuff. Like, okay, here's different things to put in order. There's a section about end of life planning. Nobody mm -hmm. wants to talk about it, but it's really important to talk about. Absolutely. Um, 
you know, the self-care, and then quite a bit about how to connect with your loved one. Like we've been talking about the jump into their reality, don't argue with them, redirecting, things like that. It's the really practical stuff that you need to know if you have a loved one so that you're not looking back going, oh my gosh, I wouldn't, I wish somebody would have told me that I wouldn't have handled this this way. It's kind of like, okay, look, you've been through it. There's some examples, you know, from my experience with my dad of some different stories. So people can be like, oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, then if it happens, they'll know like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. I'm not the first person that's happened to. So the goal of it is to help you plan ahead to help you be mentally prepared for what's coming yeah, and to just feel more empowered Mm -hmm. and not like you're just drowning. Yeah. Because you do feel that way. The what to do between tears was like the first two years of my life. (laughs) Right. Right. Because you're going to cry. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. You're losing, like you're losing that person step by step. And then you're like, oh my gosh, this is the worst. Oh my gosh. No, it's not. Because now we're in something that's, you know, even more heartbreaking. Oh, he has no idea who I am. Like, I don't think he knew my name for two years before my dad passed away. But but I could tell, like, he knew we were his safe people. Yes. Right? But he didn't know who we were. No idea. Yeah. No idea. So, and another thing that I've had some families say that it's helpful with my book or with any kind of book like this, whichever Mm -hmm. book you choose, get everyone a copy. You know, so each person should have a copy. And then I have someone right now, they gave their mom a copy. Their dad has dementia Mm -hmm. and them and their brother. And so they're using it as a way to decrease conflict between the three of them, because Mm -hmm. it's not like, mom, you need to do this. Hey mom, remember in the book, it said we should consider this. It takes the conflict out of the relationship and Uh puts it on a book. Yeah. So it's, it's a great tool. Yeah. Like blame the book, blame the book. Yeah. And everybody that like, I read a lot of your reviews and a lot of the authors that I have been interviewing, the reviews say that people read five plus books, you know, it's, it's Mm -hmm. because everybody's experiences are different. And I feel like it's a wealth of knowledge that, you know, you can never read too many, listen to too many books about this topic because everybody's situation is different and it's always evolving. Like they're constantly finding mm-hmm. new things about different forms. You know, I didn't even know that dementia was the symptom of 20 other diseases when this started. It was just, she had early onset dementia. That was it. Cause you know, we didn't take her to go get an MRI cause her doctor didn't recommend anybody right. where she was at. So you know, she's taking medicine, you know, he said, continue to have her exercise. She plays tennis, you know, two to three days a week with people that she trusts and that know they have to keep score. So, (laughs) you know, I mean, but that's, what's keeping her, her memory is not coming back, but at least she's, you know, still there. Yeah. I went to a talk once and one of the best things the guy said, he was a neurologist and he said, if you've met one person with dementia, you've met one person with dementia. Because you can talk to a hundred people about how their experience was and how their person progressed and yours is going to be different. There will be some similarities, but there will be differences, which makes sense. Because if you think about a person's brain, it's so complicated. Yeah. Right. So like musicians have a certain part of their brain that's stronger than a painter that's, that's different than a professor Mm -hmm. that's different than a teacher. Mm -hmm. And so then depending on where things start to go sideways, like what they still connect with and what they remember and how they forget, like it's all going to be different. Yeah. 100%. I agree. 
Yeah. I, I try to reinstill that to people that ask me because when somebody who's never had a person in their lives with dementia that tries to tell me something about it, I have to calm down and just understand they don't know. And I just smile and say, okay, because nothing's yes. the same. You know, it isn't 100%. My dad was I, within weeks of dying. He was, you know, on hospice and had just withered away to you know, so skinny. And I still had very well-meaning people sending me videos saying, Hey, have you put coconut oil on your dad's toast? I think it'll help. Oh. Like nothing's bringing this brain back. It's yeah, just, yeah. I would just say, Oh, thank you. We tried that. Yeah. Cause we did, you yeah. know, years ago, but yeah. 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 I tried to get her to, to have a lot of coconut. I eat more coconut oil now because of that and put it on my body, but getting at the stage she was at, even an early onset, it's in the house, but it's only gets used when I'm there. You know, she's Latin. She likes to eat beans, rice, tortillas, and, and very great Mexican foods. So and they don't cook with coconut oil. So it's a little difficult <laughs> yeah. to break that habit. Yeah. But, oh, one other thing I want to make sure I squeeze in to our 30 minutes yeah. is, you know, in spite of all the, like, we're talking about all the things that are hard and, you know, that we've lost and how we have to change communication, but I just want everybody to realize like there are beautiful, beautiful moments of connection through this entire thing. Oh, absolutely. You know, if you're willing to look at it, like I remember mm -hmm. one time when my dad was very, barely speaking any longer, but he still just loved looking out the window and everything. And I remember walking with him outside one time and we saw a butterfly mm -hmm. and he just stared at that butterfly and was pointing at it and trying to hit it. Mm. But you know, he was just like yeah. so enamored with this butterfly. And I was like, oh my God, dad, that butterfly is so beautiful. I can't recall the last time I really took a lot of time to admire a butterfly in my life. Yeah. But you do. If you, you know, if you kind of pay attention to what is capturing their attention and the little things that they do, you do end up with some beautifully touching memories. Even oh, yeah. There. So 100%. I spent my mom's. 69th birthday we took her out for drinks and well it was dinner but then my best friend met us and it was just my best friend's daughter my mother and I and at the end of that night we drove home and she was she had been laughing being sweet you know <laughs> and then when we're driving home I remember now that you're saying that that she was like that was so much fun. I regret nothing. I have no regrets, Kimberly. I have no regrets. And it just brought me to tears. I was just like, I know mom, you're awesome. You know, like it's just, it was just really a nice moment that out of all that, you know, she was just so happy just to be there and be laughing with us and, you know, connecting with us. And even though she knows that like tomorrow, she wasn't going to remember that, mm -hmm. so, but it was very sweet. Oh, that sounds nice. I do love that poem that you wrote, If Alzheimer's Could Speak. I would love to share that. Thank so I'm you. gonna ask you that right now. I love that poem that you created because it definitely hits each point of, you know, talking to the person, you know, smiling and being kind, you know, holding their hand and, and loving them who they are and and just knowing that it's the process that you're both gonna go through together. So yeah. it was super sweet. So thank you for writing that. <laughs> oh, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those weird things came to me on an airplane and it's been very powerful for a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. I went to a funeral last weekend, not dementia related, but you know, somebody read a poem and I was telling my sister, I'm like, yeah, that made, that really hit home to me because I've had a lot of people ask if they could use it mm -hmm. for funerals and, you know, fundraising events and things. And I always say yes. So if anybody, you know, if it's going to help anybody, please feel free to share it. Okay. 
yeah, it's very touching to know like, wow, okay, these words that came to me when I was struggling are just really resonating with other people. Yeah. And it teaches at the same time. It's sweet and it teaches people yeah. to just really think about it. So yeah. And it is in the book with a picture of my dad. Oh, that's super sweet. <laughs> well, tell folks where they can find the book and also how they can connect with you or, you know, get in touch with you if they have more questions. Okay. Well, the book is called What to Do Between the Tears, Practical Guide to Dealing with a Dementia or Alzheimer's Diagnosis in the Family, but don't remember all that part. Just remember the What to Do Between the Tears. It is on Amazon. Okay. It's also available for Kindle. And then I also have a website, which is pivottohappy.com. And there are quite a few blog posts with different other tips and information that they can find. And there's information about the book there as well. And there's also the poem. And I think there's a video where I put it to music, right? On there still. Yes. Yeah. There was. Yeah. And you know, you can contact me through there. Are you also on all social medias, LinkedIn, Facebook, and all those places as well? I am. Okay. Artist Tara Reed is where I'm most active on, on all the social medias. So. Okay. Got it. Well, that's great. So thank you again, Tara, for joining me today and sharing your story. I truly appreciate your time. I'm grateful that you shared your knowledge with me and the listeners. If you wish to listen to other episodes, don't forget to go to thatkimberly.com to choose where to listen to other episodes. And until next week, remember sharing is caring. And to all the caregivers listening in the words of Dottie Gandhi, you have my undying love, gratitude, and admiration. And to all those that have not had that conversation with your family members, please start talking about the what if something happens and they can no longer take care of themselves, then what? Because tomorrow is promised to nobody. Thank you again, Tara. Yeah, thank you so much. I've enjoyed talking to you. Me too.